This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. To the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, again, we are reviewing Industrial Society and its future, written in 1995, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue. We're on paragraph 39. It says, we use the term surrogate activity to designate an activity that is directed toward an artificial goal that people set up for themselves merely in order to have some goal to work toward, or let's say merely for the cake of fulfillment that they get from pursuing the goal. Here is a rule of thumb for the identification of surrogate activities. Given a person who devotes much time and energy to the pursuit of goal X, ask yourself this. If he had to devote most of his time and energy to satisfying his biological needs, and if that effort required him to use his physical and mental faculties in a varied and interesting way, would he feel seriously deprived because he did not attain goal x if the answer is no then the person's pursuit of goal x is a surrogate activity right that's what i was just talking about hirohito's studies in marine biology clearly constituted a surrogate activity since it is pretty certain that if hirohito had spent uh, had to spend his time working at interesting non-scientific tasks, or in order to obtain the necessities of life, he would not have felt deprived, because he didn't know all about the anatomy and life cycles of marine animals. On the other hand, <laughs> this is a, on the other hand, the pursuit of sex and love, for example, is not a surrogate activity because most people, even if their existence were otherwise satisfactory, would feel deprived if they passed their lives without ever having a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. But pursuit of an excessive amount of sex more than one really needs can be a surrogate activity so this would be folks that become uh, sexaholics you know or addicted to pornography right so do you understand what he's saying if hirohito had to go out there and uh, fight a grizzly bear and kill it to bring home the meat to his family he wouldn't have had the time to get into marine biology and if he didn't get into marine biology because he was fighting to get those physical necessities, food, water, shelter that he needed for his family to survive, would he really even uh, be depressed by the absence of having learned marine biology? 
And if the answer is no, then the marine biology is, in fact, a surrogate activity. All right, it goes on. And now, and then the other thing is, let me just point this out. I'm not saying the author is 100% correct. I'm showing you something that was written in 95 under pretty uh, strange circumstances, as you'll see later on as we cover this in future episodes. But the author makes a great point. Uh, One of the other themes you're going to see come up throughout this is whether technology and humanity could truly coexist in harmony. And this is a question I've asked myself. I've spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours trying to go over that in my head. Obviously, I've spent a lot of time in my personal life doing research, which I've delivered to you here at the Dustin Gold Standard on such topics, because it is a question that I think is probably the most, in question, uh, the most important question of our time. I have come to the conclusion that technology and humanity cannot coexist uh, in harmony. The technology will eventually destroy humanity. In fact, it is actually humanity destroying itself because humanity is the one developing the very technology that will be the end of uh, humanity itself. Right, genetic modification, artificial intelligence, robots, brain chips, that's all developed by humans. And so uh, there's going to be things that, that I hope spark uh, you, know, you to go do further research or sit back for a moment with your eyes closed in the dark, in the quiet, and think about this. Because this author brings up a lot of very important stuff you know so most people would say to me and i've had this conversation with many well i wouldn't be happy living in a little shelter out in the middle of the woods with just my spouse and my nine children and hunting deer and just trying to survive i like the world that i live in today where i have uh disposable income and i could acquire materialistic possessions and i can have a 87 inch flat screen tv and three car payments and a mcmansion in the suburbs and a boat that i can go use on the weekends and that's all fine and dandy and i I agree those things can be very nice especially when you can afford them you're not uh, drowning yourself in debt you can enjoy this in time with your family but what happens is you're going to start to see uh, a lot of the problems that, that we complain about right are all connected to this sort of lifestyle this society this culture this system of technocracy that we currently live under And I think you're going to start to see that it's almost impossible to have both. Uh, You know, you'll see. I think you're going to see this as we go through it. Again, I don't want to jump the gun here, but I want you to understand where this conversation is going. All right, paragraph 40. In modern industrial society, only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs. It is enough to go through a training program to acquire some petty technical skill, then come to work on time and exert the very modest effort needed to hold a job. The only requirements are a moderate amount of intelligence and most of all, simple obedience. Right? We've talked about this time and time again. You got to be a good little robot inside of the system goes on to say if one has those society takes care of one from cradle to grave yes 
There is an underclass that cannot take the physical necessities for granted, but we are speaking here of mainstream society. And that's, that's very important to understand that, folks. All right? Simple obedience, right? And if, if you conform to this model, uh, then society will take care of you from cradle to grave. And as I've said to you, Uh, several times on this show they make it very easy to live within the system unfortunately the system lands you in a salvation army parking lot with a q-tip shoved up into your brain and or a needle stuck in your arm that's where the system will lead you the system will lead you to being engineered out of existence. So they make it easy to live within that system as long as you're a good little robot. And many of us are, whether we realize it or not. I think part of this journey in the dust and gold standard is to look uh, you know, inward at oneself, to be able to look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm, I'm a part of this system. We'll get into a little of this tomorrow with Wide Awake Jim because we were having a conversation off the record, I mean off air. And um, it had to do with the fact that we're already sort of living within uh, a beast system. We're already carrying around our iPhones. We're already using all this technology. So we'll talk about that with Jim. It goes on to say, thus it is not surprising that modern society is full of surrogate activities. These include scientific work, athletic achievement, humanitarian work, artistic and literary creation, climbing the corporate ladder, acquisition of money and material goods far beyond the point at which they cease to give any additional physical satisfaction, and social activism when it addresses issues that are not important for the activist personally, as in the case of white activists who work for the rights of non-white minorities. These are not always pure surrogate activities, since for many people, they may be motivated in part by needs other than the need to have some goal to pursue. Scientific work may be motivated in part by a drive for prestige, artistic creation by a need to express feelings, militant social activism by hostility. But for most people who pursue them, these activities are in large part surrogate activities. For example, the majority of scientists will probably agree that the, quote, fulfillment, end quote, they get from their work is more important than the money and prestige they earn. So you see what he's talking about there, folks, that sometimes it's not a pure surrogate activity. Sometimes they are getting something out of it. For instance, I've talked about Saul Alinsky and the community organizing that he did, which was really manipulating people into his system of endless progressive activism that ends up eating society and culture alive. All right. But that was part of his mental illness, in my opinion, that he was getting satisfaction by watching hell come to earth, which is what he has actually said in an interview. Let's continue. 41. For many, if not most people, surrogate activities are less satisfying than the pursuit of real goals. That is, goals that people would want to attain even if their need for the power process were already fulfilled. 
One indication of this is the fact that in many or most cases, people are deeply involved in surrogate activities are never satisfied. They are never at rest. Thus, the moneymaker constantly strives for more and more wealth. The scientist no sooner solves one problem than he moves on to the next. And that's what I talk about, folks. If you allow the scientists and the engineers to do their science and do their engineering, it will never end. It operates on a system of progressivism. Progressing towards no actual goal in mind will lead towards the eventual uh, engineering of humanity and natural life out of existence, right? So this author identifies that here. It goes on to say the long distance runner drives himself to run always farther and faster. Many people who pursue surrogate activities will say that they get far more fulfillment from these activities than they do from the mundane business of satisfying their biological needs. But that is because in our society, the effort needed to satisfy the biological needs has been reduced to triviality. More importantly, in our society, people do not satisfy their biological needs autonomously, but by functioning as parts of an immense social machine. In contrast, people generally have a great deal of autonomy in pursuing their surrogate activities. You understand this? Right? This is like what Elon Musk says, where we are merely nodes in the system. Nodes in the system that are helping build the technocracy around us. So what he's talking about is most people derive their money, their food coupons, uh, which allows them to uh get access to the physical needs uh to satisfy the biological needs to buy food buy water get shelter they need the food coupons but they're doing that generally through work and when they're working they're working with a group they're working for a company they're working for a corporation they're working for an organization they're working for a think tank an ngo a government so they're not doing this autonomously meaning on their own they're not doing it on their own they're doing it as a collective and when they go off and they do these surrogate activities like let's say i don't know you learn to knit or crochet and so you're going to crochet a, a giant blanket you're actually doing that on your own you know, or when you're out running, you might be doing it with a friend or a group, but generally you're the one running. You're doing it on your own. Therefore, psychologically, that surrogate activity is sort of helping you achieve this uh, internal drive to do things and achieve things autonomously. That's what the author is getting into. And folks, we're going to talk about autonomy when we get back from this short break. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash call. Folks, we are reviewing industrial society and its future. 
a very important paper written in 1995. And we are working our way through it, folks. So this section here is on autonomy. And this is important because, you know, in the last few years, we hear the word autonomous all the time now, right? Autonomous vehicles, autonomous drones, autonomous army tanks, you know, that fly around there, drive around there uh, on their own, autonomous weapons. They just go out and kill folks without having anyone controlling them. All right, so let's look at paragraph 42. It says, autonomy as part of the power process may not be necessary for every individual. Now, remember, the author lays out the four major pieces to the power process. The fourth piece being autonomy, which he says not everyone needs to necessarily have autonomy, so that's what he's explaining at this point. He says, but most people need a greater or lesser degree of autonomy in working toward their goals. Their efforts must be undertaken on their own initiative and must be under their own direction and control. Yet most people do not have to exert this initiative, direction, and control as single individuals. It is usually enough to act as a member of a small, all capitals, small group. Thus, if half a dozen people discuss a goal among themselves and make a successful joint effort to attain that goal, their need for the power process will be served. But if they work under rigid orders handed down from above that leave them no room for autonomous decision and initiative, then their need for the power process will not be served. The same is true when decisions are made on a collective basis. If the group making the collective decision is so large that the role of each individual is insignificant. All right. You understand that? So if you're working with a small group of folks, I don't know, there's three of you. You're each knitting a piece of a quilt and then you're going to put it together. You know, that power process is met. All right. But, but if you're working under the direction of a committee, under the direction of uh, some micromanaging boss, you're taking orders from others, you have to follow those orders strictly, then the power process is not met. Paragraph 43, it is true that some individuals seem to have little need for autonomy. Either their drive for power is weak, or they satisfy it by identifying themselves with some powerful organization to which they belong. And then there are unthinking animal types who seem to be satisfied with a purely physical sense of power. For instance, the good combat soldier who gets his sense of power by developing fighting skills that he is quite content to use in blind obedience to his superiors. Sorry, police officers and military folks out there, but come on, look in the mirror. You know this is true. Maybe not for you, but for folks you've run into uh, in that business in which you work all right so you guys get that you understand that let's move on paragraph 44 but for most people it is through the power process having a goal making an autonomous effort and attaining the goal that self-esteem self-confidence and a sense of power are acquired when one does not have adequate opportunity to go through the power process the consequences are 
depending on the individual and on the way the power process is disrupted. Boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorders, eating disorders, etc. Now, this is written in 95, 28 years ago. Look at the list of problems. Now, that list of problems has always been around uh, in the last, let's say, century. Uh, but it has grown. I think I did some shows on this when we were talking about depression, psychedelics, tying that all into MK Ultra. Uh, which was run out of Fort Detrick, a mile from me, in the 60s. Uh, but where else have we seen these issues grow out of? Let's look at it again. Boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorders, and eating disorders. We saw it grow out of COVID land, the high school theater production. All right, if you didn't guess that. And you can even look at the official narrative numbers coming out of the mental health industry. And you will see that these have grown not just in adults, but in children since COVID land, the high school theater production. You locked people up in their house. You took away... Any semblance of freedom, of liberty, of autonomy, of power that folks thought they had. And you told them to lock themselves in their house and do nothing while the government sent them stimulus checks or sent you a stimulus check. And so we saw all of these issues growing. You don't think that maybe that was done on purpose, do you? To take away the power process from people and to further push people into let's just call this depression overall i mean we talked about this in episode 126 with coach saji all about how this trauma is all part of the psychological warfare operation to weaken the human to make the human sick to really beat them up although he doesn't believe in an immune system let's just say weaken the immune system make you weaker to all of these outside toxins and pollutants radiation chemicals pesticides cloud seeding chemtrails all this stuff it weakens your body it weakens your mind and you become susceptible to all these poisons that the system is admitting into the air the soil and the water and the food All right, let's continue. It says, sources of social problems. Paragraph 45. Any of the foregoing symptoms can occur in any society, but in modern industrial society, they are present on a massive scale. We aren't the first to mention that the world today seems to be going crazy. This sort of thing is not normal for human societies. There is a good reason to believe that primitive man suffered from less stress and frustration and was better satisfied with his way of life than modern man is. It is true that not all was sweetness and light in primitive societies. Um, 
Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, uh, abuse of women was common among the Australian Aborigines. Transsexuality was fairly common among some of the American Indian tribes. But it does appear that, generally speaking, the kinds of problems that we have listed in the preceding paragraph were far less common among primitive peoples than they are in modern society and you know it would be interesting if there were still primitive sort of indigenous folks living in certain areas if we were able to go talk to them and see what kind of problems they had but they would have to be completely detached uh, from sort of this modern technocracy that we are living in to really get a very uh, fair reading of the situation like they couldn't be living in a village and they're really controlled by exxon or they're controlled by uh, some big energy company or something like that that has taken over their land and just lets them live there like a native american living on a reservation but it would be quite interesting to actually see this uh, in action are the people that are primitive uh, living a happier life overall, they don't have the trappings of com commercialism and consumerism and materialism. I don't know if you guys do this, but I often close my eyes, right, and try to envision myself uh, living in that type of situation, not just from a, you know, sort of fantasy perspective, but really try to think about what it would be like to live in uh, that situation under those type of circumstances. I don't know if you ever do that, but I do it once in a while. It's kind of an exercise. I don't uh, meditate, but it's sort of like meditation, folks. All right, paragraph 46. We attribute the social and psychological problem, problems of modern society to the fact that society requires people to live under conditions radically different from those under which the human race evolved and to behave in ways that conflict with the patterns of behavior that the human race developed while living under the earlier conditions. It is clear from what we have already written that we consider lack of opportunity to properly experience the power process as the most important of the abnormal conditions to which modern society subjects people. But it is not the only one. Before dealing with disruption of the power process as a source of social problems, we will discuss some of the other sources. Let's continue. Paragraph 47. Among the abnormal conditions present in modern industrial society are excessive density of population, isolation of man from nature, excessive rapidity of social change and the breakdown of natural small-scale communities such as the extended family the village or the tribe now let's put this into context paragraphs 46 and 47 think about what we've talked about here at the dust and gold standard since this paper was written in 1995 we have had internet be installed in almost every single home we have smartphones in our pockets. We're walking around, literally able to take pictures and videos of each other, share them in a moment, jump on social media, text to people back and forth, call people at any time we want, jump on a video call. You can do everything from your phones. Everything is now connected, right? So it's all connected. Now you're trying to perform for people on social media. You're trying to get likes. You're trying to get retweets. You're trying to get people to say they love you in comment sections. And so all this has happened 
uh, under this technocracy we live under since the modern technological society that the author's talking about 95. It's only gotten worse. And as technology reaches this point of exponential growth, this concept of sort of singularity where artificial intelligence becomes smarter than man itself, than its creator, uh, it's only going to get worse. And as the author points out, in the last, let's say, 150, 200 years, really since the industrial era, since we've entered into the industrial technological society, the technocracy, humans have been moved completely away from the way we live for thousands or millions of years, depending on how you look at it. It doesn't really matter. Thousands or millions, we lived in a so-called primitive way, or at least we're supposed to believe. And then all of a sudden, we're thrown into living in a city life where you're stacked on top of each other in apartment buildings in New York City and other places. Even around here, they're building these subdivision communities where houses that cost $700,000 have 10 feet from wall to wall. You can literally spit out your window into your neighbor's house. So look how much things have changed rapidly. And humans, if you believe in evolution, or at least being able to adapt to the environment that they're living in, have not had the opportunity to do that. You go from thousands or millions of years supposedly living uh, as a primitive being to suddenly being forced into the modern technocracy that we live under today. And you wonder why mental illness, depression, and such are on the rise. It goes on to say, paragraph 48, it is well known that crowding increases stress and aggression. The degree of crowding that exists today and the isolation of man from nature are consequences of technological progress. All pre-industrial societies were predominantly rural, the Industrial Revolution vastly increased the size of cities and the proportion of the population that lives in them. And modern agriculture, uh, agricultural technology has made it possible for the Earth to support a far denser population than it ever did before. Also, technology exacerbates the effects of crowding because it puts increased disruptive powers in people's hands. For example... A variety of noise-making devices, power mowers, radios, motorcycles, etc. If the use of these devices is unrestricted, people who want peace and quiet are frustrated by the noise. If their use is restricted, people who use the devices are frustrated by the regulations. But if these machines had never been invented, there would have been no conflict and no frustration generated by them. Now, we're going to get into some very uncomfortable stuff like that right there. I, I, but I, I think you understand that, right? If the machine didn't exist, the conflict wouldn't exist. And we're going to get into some, I think, uncomfortable ideas. I think you'll be quite uncomfortable. But I think you have to get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. All right, if you want to start to talk about this and truly understand it. One of the issues I have myself thought about and I'm conflicted over is this idea of uh, overpopulation okay and you will see <clears throat> there'll be friends of mine uh colleagues allies people like uh timothy shea was on his show the reckoning on tnt radio he's going to come on here in a few days uh he has a background in science and biology he was an intellectual property attorney very brilliant guy but he will say there are no problems with uh over 
population. You could fly across the country and see all the green down below you, which is 100% true. But that's because the majority of people have been driven into the suburbs, which are now becoming overcrowded, and the cities. And they'll say, we can produce enough food because now we're building, as Wide Awake Jim pointed out, the stackable, multi-level indoor farms that are growing food uh, hydroponically with no soil and no real light and LEDs. Well, that's all the genetically modified food that we're complaining about. And then we're going to start complaining about them moving from real meat, you know, from cattle, from pigs, uh, from chickens, over to printed meat, 3D printed meat, lab-grown meat. Well, where do you think all the food is going to come from, all the natural food, to feed, you know, 8 billion people? If we exploded from a billion to 8 billion in a very short period of time, where does all the food come from? So some people will argue overpopulation is not a real issue. Well, at the same time, you can't then tell me that you don't want to eat the crickets and you don't want to eat the 3D printed meat that these guys are going to throw at us because the food has to come from somewhere. That's why I think it's important to have three, four, five acres that you can farm your own food on your own land. Let's just assume the government isn't going to crop dust it and destroy it. But that's what I think, you know, some of the solutions we have to look at. And I'm not going to ever talk about uh, anybody choosing to lower the population. I don't think man should make that choice. But I can see why these guys are talking about it. They may save the real cattle for themselves and feed us the slop if we're going to stay at these high numbers of population. But you can't have it both ways if you want to have an honest intellectual uh, nuanced conversation over these topics you have to understand if the population goes from 8 billion to 16 billion where's all the food coming from uh where are all the natural resources going to come from i mean some of this stuff is realistic i don't believe that the solutions being handed to us by the United Nations, Bank for International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, World Bank, uh, and all these folks out there, the World Economic Forum and such, I don't believe those are the real solutions. I also don't believe that it should be Bill Gates or the government, the state, the technate that should be allowed to pick and choose who is going to die. But these are definitely questions we have to address and we have to talk about or we're not being honest with ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 